If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me this morning once again to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 1. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we're glad that you're here. We're in just our third week of this new study of this Old Testament prophet. Shouldn't be a particularly long study, certainly not like Isaiah or Jeremiah, but will take us several weeks to get through. Zechariah was a prophet who spoke to God's people in the 6th century at a time when they were seeking to rebuild their lives after many years away, after a generation away. They've returned to their home, their homeland, but they're discouraged. They're struggling. If you were here last week, you remember that I gave you uh, just a bit of a teaser trailer of the first of eight visions that Zechariah receives from the Lord in order to communicate to the people of God. These are visions that are commonly known as the night visions. And as we began meditating on this first vision that we're going to complete today, we began with this truth. In the dark, faith gives sight. In the dark, faith Gives sight. In other words, faith gives us eyes to see reality as it truly is. In this enchanted world that we live in, in a world where God is on the move always, though it's not always evident to the naked eye. And remember, this is a dark time for God's people. That's why I began with in the dark, because not only is Zechariah literally in the dark when he's receiving these visions, they're the night visions, but God's people are figuratively in the dark because they are discouraged and they are wondering where God is, where Yahweh is. And so they need to not only hear from him, but they need to see through the eyes of faith that they have not been abandoned, that God is for them. He is present. He is on the move. And so as we looked at last week, his scouts are patrolling. And there is much more than we can see. And that's what the eyes of faith give us. That's what this place, each Lord's Day morning, as we come together in the sanctuary of God, as we sing and join our voices to sing of this truth, as we hear his word, that's what the sanctuary of God gives us, renewed perspective and vision for our lives. So this morning we return to the rest of the vision and to the encouragements that Yahweh gives his people through the prophet. And so I invite you, if you're able, as is our tradition, stand for the reading of God's word, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Same passage we read last week, Zechariah 1, verses 7 through 17. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edu, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. 
Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Amen. This is the Word of our God. Go ahead and be seated. Last week I began with the statement that things are not always what they seem. Do you remember a young girl, young woman named Dorothy and her friends on the yellow brick road? Lost and far from Kansas, she had traveled far in the land of Oz based upon the word that there was a wizard who could deal with her situation. There was a wizard who could get her home. But when she found this wizard, well, he was not what she had hoped for. The fear and the awe created by the great and powerful Oz was just that. It was a creation by a mere man no more powerful than she And just before this whole ruse is exposed, remember, Toto is the one who exposes it and runs over to the curtain and starts pulling on the curtain as he's turning the cranks and speaking into the microphone. Just before that happens, Dorothy, amongst all of his blustering and all of his excuses about why he can't help her, do you remember what Dorothy says? She says this, if you were really great and powerful, you'd keep your promises. But of course he can't. He's powerless to do so. If you were really great and powerful, you'd keep your promises. That's in part the question that God's people are wrestling with here. Will Yahweh keep his promises? And the answer in this vision and in the subsequent visions to come that build and unfold all that God has to say to his people, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, he will. So as we continue to meditate on these verses this morning, I'd like to serve up the last two of what was going to be a three-point sermon. We cut it into half. One point last week, in the dark, faith gives sight. Two more encouragements today that build on that one point and flow from it. And the first one is this, not only in the dark does faith give sight, but in the dark, sight reveals an advocate. In the dark, sight reveals an advocate. 
Let me give you four wonderful words that I love to hear anytime you want to say these words to me, you can. Let me handle this. Don't you love when people tell you that? Let me handle this. We all need that. I need that. Especially when things seem insurmountable. I need someone to stand in the gap and say, let me handle this. By God's grace, faith produces sight. And that sight helps us see in this passage what we couldn't see before what Zechariah couldn't see except for God's grace and this vision he gave him. And that is Emmanuel. God with us. Let me explain. The Lord of hosts has sent out his special reconnaissance group. We spoke about them last week, this band of horsemen that are now tucked in the glen amidst the myrtles. They have patrolled the earth and they have a report to give. And we heard of it. Just now, we just heard of it in verse 11. Their report is this. The earth remains at rest. And of course, at first, that seems like a good thing, right? I mean, rest is good. The earth at rest is good. The history books tell us that this was the period known as the Pax Perseica. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you've heard of the Pax Romana. Right, That period of history in the Roman Empire, right when Jesus came and was made incarnate. Well, this was centuries earlier. Cyrus's successor, Cyrus the one who had allowed God's people to come back into their homeland, his successor Darius had brought the whole eastern world under his control. He had successfully squelched all rebellions against his rule, and most recently he had brought the mighty Egypt to bow the knee to him. There is peace. The earth remains at rest. Except for the fact that God's people are unsettled. God's judgment has taken its toll on the nation of Israel and things are far from ideal as we've spoken of. Far from ideal for the nation of Israel. Some of the nation is still half a world away. Those who are home are languishing under Persian rule and discouragement. In other words, what the angels say, the report they give, is not encouraging. What they are reporting is the comfort of the nations. The prosperous ease of God's enemies. And this isn't good at all. These horsemen give this report to their commander, the one who sits atop the red horse, the one described as the angel of the Lord. Now, I spoke last week about the fact that there are two angels in this vision. There's the angel who talked with me, which is explicitly stated in verse 9, who essentially serves as a narrator to Zechariah about what he is seeing. He tells him what Yahweh wants him to say. And then there is this angel of the Lord to whom the other horsemen report. The angel receives this report from these horsemen. And, and what is his response? He says this, O Lord, Yahweh of hosts, how long? 
How long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And we know about the anger of 70 years. 70 years is this season of judgment, this season of exile. Jeremiah spoke of this in his prophecy to the exiles before they return. Listen to Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And the angel of the Lord says to Yahweh, where is this promise? The nations are at ease. Your people are languishing. Seventy years has expired. He's ready for Yahweh to intervene. So what's going on here? What I want you to see is what's going on here is intercession is advocacy, prayer for God's people by appealing to God's promises. God's people have an advocate. And who is this advocate? Well, clearly the angel of the Lord is a representative of Yahweh, but is he just that? That's the question. We first see and hear about the angel of the Lord in Genesis, Genesis chapter 16, as he comes to console Hagar. And then we see him again in Joshua chapter 5. He appears as the commander of God's army. And in Joshua, Joshua's response and the angel's response to Joshua gives us an indication that this is something more. This is someone more than a mere angel. Joshua bows in worship to him. And this angel receives Joshua's worship. In fact, he tells Joshua that this place is holy. So could it be, yes, it could be, that the angel of the Lord here is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, interceding on behalf of His people before Yahweh His Father. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In the dark, remember that you have an advocate. Someone praying for you. Someone pleading the promises of God on your behalf, longing that you might be made Whole. Listen to the promises of his word. John 17, 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Hebrews 7, 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the the right hand of God who is interceding for us. Friends, God's people are being reminded in their discouragement, in their darkness, 
That there is one who will appeal to the promises of God on their behalf. One who knows and remembers their plight. And this isn't just good news for the corporate people of God centuries ago. This is good news for you and for me. For our families, for us individually, not only does the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, see all that we're experiencing, but for those who are in Christ, He hears His Son's plea for you. Jesus, the one who has been here, who's put this stuff on, this flesh, who knows our weakness, who has experienced our pain, our loss. He knows our plight. You see, this is a, this is a game changer. Listen to the explanation from our historical creeds, our standards, the Westminster Larger Catechism. Ask this question, how does Christ make intercession And the answer is this, Christ makes intercession by His appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven in the merit of His obedience and sacrifice on earth, declaring His will to have it applied to all believers, answering all accusations against them, and procuring for them quiet of conscience, notwithstanding daily failings, access with boldness to the throne of grace, and acceptance of their persons and services. The 19th century Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane says this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. So my first encouragement to you this morning is to let Zechariah's vision help you see in the dark that you are not alone, that His presence is with you, that His prayers are for you. And not just that, but peace is coming. And that's the second point I want us to look at today. In the dark, our advocate brings hope. In the dark, our advocate brings hope. Yahweh's answer to His servant, the angel of the Lord, who pleads how long, is good. Right? How does Zechariah say? These are gracious and comforting words. He's not frustrated at the frustration We don't hear, we don't get to hear the full extent of his response. Only the proclamation that Zechariah is instructed to give. Right? The narrating angel says in verse 14, cry out, Zechariah, speak this good news to the people. And the good news that he speaks can be summed up in three words. Jealousy, anger, and mercy. First of all, jealousy. Now, that's not a word that we associate with anything good, is it? But it's Yahweh's jealousy that opens up the floodgates of grace in the lives of God's people. We learn here in our text that Yahweh is exceedingly jealous. That's the translator's way of handling the Hebrew grammar here. Literally, 
Yahweh is jealous with a great jealousy. This is intense. And God's jealousy is not like ours. It's not tinged or tangled with sin. This is pure jealousy. The kind of jealousy that was expressed in the covenantal language that he used at Mount Sinai when he gave God's people his law and he gave them the second commandment. I am a jealous God. I am jealous that you have no other gods before me. Yahweh is jealous for their exclusive love and affection. And it's that jealousy that brought justice. And it's that jealousy that now brings grace and hope because God's people have never left Yahweh's heart. So it begins with jealousy and then it extends to anger. That jealousy turned to anger at his people's rebellion We heard it back in verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers, but now that anger has a new focus. And again, he is angry with a great anger. The nations that have been used for his purposes by Yahweh and to judge his people have essentially taken things too far. It's like the equivalent of God telling the nations to slap Israel on the list and they're over there pummeling Israel. And God says, that's enough. It's enough. And of course, that, that relationship between God's sovereignty over the nations and the nation's responsibility for their own actions, that remains a mystery. But now that his righteous anger is directed at his enemies, the promises are becoming true. Because his jealousy for his own, plus his anger against the nations who have taken things too far, now equals mercy. Mercy. Restoration for God's people is beginning. A reversal is being set in motion. You see, he, he speaks here of the measuring line. You know measuring lines. The strings that you pull to make walls straight as you're laying a foundation of a structure. Well, measuring lines were used both in the building of structures, but also in the demolishing of structures. God's people had already heard in Lamentations 2 as the prophet Jeremiah had cried, the Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain His hand from destroying. But here the measuring line is is rebirth. It's, It's new construction. It's rebuilding. The line will be stretched as a new foundation of the temple is laid. The place of God's dwelling. The place of God's presence. The place of His people. God has returned because His people have returned to Him. Zion will be comforted. All will be well. See, what wonderful hope Zechariah extends to the people of God amidst their darkness. God's at work. You can't see it, but He's at work. You have a divine advocate. You have a future. And the fact of the matter is, as we sit here in 2022, it's better than they even imagined. 
You see, God's people here under the preaching of Zechariah, under Haggai, they will begin to experience this reversal. They will begin to prosper again. And in 516 BC, the temple will be rebuilt. But even then, upon its completion, the people will weep. They will weep because it's not like Solomon's temple. They will weep because their hearts long for a glory and a presence that's brighter and deeper. A peace and a prosperity that's more lasting. And that's why ultimately this passage points us to Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of God's jealousy and His mercy. Yahweh's jealousy for you and I set His righteous anger in motion towards sin and towards His Son. And now we are recipients of that mercy. Not only that, but Jesus is the new temple. There's no need for an earthly temple measured out with a string and a line. For Jesus is the place of God's dwelling. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is our peace. He has given us peace with God. His ministry is characterized by peace. And so Zechariah's vision calls us, invites us, helps us see that in the dark we have an advocate. In the dark we have an advocate that brings hope. In the dark we have Jesus. Going back to Dorothy's frustrating statement While the great and powerful Oz was all smoke and mirrors, our God has kept His promises. He's kept His promises. And now He invites us to live in them and to live from them because we are now ministers of that same mercy in His name. We now are the temple of God. We are the embodiment of His presence. We are called now to be the aroma of Christ to the world and we are called to be peacemakers pointing to the Prince of Peace, to the One who has handled it, the One who has said, it is finished. Nothing more needs to be done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this glorious vision given to Your servant. And we thank You most of all for the One to whom it points us to. The Lord Jesus, the embodiment of Your promises the embodiment of Your justice, of Your mercy, of Your grace, of Your kindness shown to us. And no matter what we may be experiencing here in this room, I pray that Your people would know and would feel the presence of their Savior. The One who has accomplished all that is needed for life and for godliness. And the One who still today at this very second sits at Your right hand for us. Oh Father, that's the vision we need as we go from this place. Plant it deep in our hearts. Deep in our spirits. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.